We always say that the most valuable resource is the human resource. Human-centered design would like a word with some of you who may not be practicing that because for some folks, it's more about the process and the product and the outcomes than anything else. People have assigned jobs that they apply for and they get paid to do. Yes, we understand that. But how much attention are we paying to the unique expertise and lessons that people bring to their work? And how much more could the institution and the employees benefit if leadership took a human-centered design approach? Well, there are three things that we want to get out of this episode of I Want to Work There. Number one, let's find out what human-centered design is. Number two, let's find out how human-centered design can be applied to the complex environment of higher education. And three, ways to implement human-centered design for a great talent experience among faculty and staff while the institution also benefits. So let's learn about our guest, Eric Ruder. He's the founder, president, and chairman of Human Centered Success LLC. He has a background in higher education, communications, and marketing. He's a senior project manager with the American Marketing Association. He's also a diversity, equity, and inclusion speaker. Oh, and oh, by the way, uh, he and his husband have two dachshunds, Kane and Mabel. That's relevant because you're going to hear from Mabel. So you can read more about Eric in the show notes. In the meantime, let's get into episode three of I Want to Work There. Welcome to I Want to Work There, a podcast that helps colleges and universities boost their brands as employers of choice. I'm your host, Eddie Francis, brand strategy consultant for Edify Ventures. Join me every other week for discussions with some of the best minds in talent recruitment and retention, human resources, and marketing and communications inside and outside of higher education. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Network, a robust collection of podcasts designed to help higher education professionals just like you grow and explore our other shows at enrollify.org or check out some of my personal favorites linked in the show notes below enrollify is made possible by element 451 the leading ai powered all-in-one student engagement platform helping institutions create meaningful personalized and engaging interactions with students learn more at element451.com Eric, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. How are you? I am doing quite well. Thank you for asking. It is great to have you uh, on the podcast. So I have to tell the audience something first uh, that that Eric saved my <laughs> Eric saved my lack of organization life. OK, <laughs> he is th- this man is a project management whiz and When I tell you I'm an unorganized person, I am really unorganized. And I just asked Eric, how do I do this? And he showed me the magic of a Kanban board. And man, that thing has been, it has been money for me ever since. Like I have, I have gone according to it. I've been able to keep myself straight for the most part, for the most part. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And and listen, man, it is. As someone with a with a startup business, I mean the the Kanban board is magical. So, thank you so much just for showing me that one thing that I could do to get my scramble brain together. <laughs> of course, my pleasure. <laughs> 
So, Eric, um, you, you have a really cool thing that you are working with right now, human-centered design. So, yeah. first of all, let's start by getting to know you. Tell us about yourself and how you developed this interest in human-centered de design. So, I have had a lot of different jobs in a lot of different places and a lot of different organizations, a lot of different job functions, and... What I realized, of course, is that the common theme between all of those is that you're working with people. And I spent mm -hmm. years as a graphic designer and then spent a long time doing marketing communications. And what I was putting together more and more was this concept that you know, we should be designing for the people that we're working with in terms of how we are leading them. And this mm. concept of human-centered design is, you know, I wish I could say I came up with it, but I would be lying through my teeth. And that's easily fact-checked that I did not. <laughs> what I did find was that this concept of human-centered design, this concept of we design our processes, procedures, projects for the people who are going to be working on them was kind of revolutionary because human-centered design is mostly used, you know, if you're looking at it from a design thinking lens, is mostly used for products, services, and results. But there mm -hmm. hasn't been a lot of work using those same tools, those same concepts pointing back at project teams, pointing back at departments, pointing back at employees. So mm -hmm. while a lot of organizations talk about being employee centric, they're doing it in a typical terrible design fashion of designing it for themselves and not necessarily designing it for the people on their teams or in their organizations. Right. So I became interested in this after, you know, years of working in graphic design and then really stumbled on design thinking when I was basically Googling stuff and realized that, I know, right? The power of the internet can change your life and realized that when you combine a designer's mindset of creating something in service of someone else with employee engagement, with compassionate leadership, you can create something really special. If I'm hearing it correctly, this is the difference be between saying, we have all these processes, we got to find the right people. None of these people can do the process. They all got to go. But differently, what this is saying that we have all these processes, we have all these people, let's figure out what their talents are, let's figure out what they're good at, and let's work the process around how they work. Is Am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely part of it. It's, it's mm -hmm. being flexible enough with your processes and really working with the people who are doing the work to determine mm -hmm. processes that work for them while still meeting the business needs, whether that's documentation, yeah, okay. mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, uh, conversions, etc. 
but realizing that you're working with people and there's not one size fits all solution for people. So how might you create a process that works for the people who are actually using the process that empowers them. So let's level set here. When we talk about, if we could define human centered design mm -hmm. and, and, and talk about a little bit uh, more about why it is important for the workplace and how it does fit into efficiency, how would you, how would you do that? So human centered design is the concept that you are working with the employees that you have to generate processes that they can use to their maximum efficiency. Because I'm sure we've all been in workplaces where we've been handed a process and we're like, this makes no sense to my brain. I can't wrap my head around mm -hmm. this. This seems really inefficient to me. And yet we're stuck with those processes because the organization has determined that those are the best processes. Now, human-centered design really takes a look at it from the opposite point of view. Here are employees who we have hired for their expertise, no matter what that expertise is, in what field, etc. They know best how they best work, how they best contribute, and if we give them the tools that they can use to their best ability, they're going to be happier. They're going to be more engaged. They're going to be more productive. And all of that's going to benefit the organization. But mm -hmm. if yeah. you are yeah. forcing them to use a hammer to try to screw something into a wall... <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get a big hole in the wall, right? You're going to get inefficiency. You're going to get rework and you are going to get unhappy employees. And we all know the cost mm. of employee turnover. You know, that is not insignificant. I was just about to ask you about that. So if you can cultivate a human centered workplace, if you can cultivate an organization where employees are learning and growing and feeling comfortable you know, eventually, yes, you will have some employee turnover. Yes, people will outgrow things. However, what you're going to have is a more engaged, productive core who are more likely to stick around for mid to long term engagements. Let me play devil's advocate here. I'm going to play the role of the crotchety provost. <laughs> Never encountered one of those before. No idea what you're talking about. Ever, man. Never. never I've never, never seen never. one ever. So <laughs> this provost says to you, I don't care about all that. If everyone would just do the job that they're assigned, <laughs> then we'll all be fine. And if they can't do the job, then we need to get rid of them. What is the business case you make to people like that? Because they hear they hear things like happy employees and they think that you're skipping around campus trying to throw flowers. Right, not doing your work, offices. not doing your job. And, 
Right. Yeah. And and, and, they, and they hear that you, they, hear, they hear that you're giving license for people not to do their jobs. Right. So besides lowering the cost of turnover, what else is a business case here? Oh, you're looking at increased profitability. You're looking at increased productivity. You're looking at employees who are increasing efficiencies because they feel empowered to make changes and suggestions that will mm -hmm. improve the processes. And none of this has to be, let's gut everything and throw everything out. This can right. be giving employees the ability to say, hey, I have a better way of doing this within right. the bounds of their job function. You know, we're not saying, hey, everybody rewrite your job description. And, oh, you're a, you're a marketer. Oh, well, you know, you'd rather be the chief of operations. You'd rather be the associate provost. Sure. Have at it. You know, like we're not saying that what we're saying is, <laughs> you know, within the bounds of your role, your responsibilities, how might we create an experience for you? that increases your productivity because you feel like the work that you are doing works, you know, it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's works for you in a way that you feel like you are actually contributing and you're not just that cog in the machine. You're not just that, Oh, I'm here to pull a paycheck and just, do the minimum amount of work to to tack off all of the things on my job description, but I'm actually adding value. And I could throw statistics at you about this all day long, but you have the Googles, <laughs> so, you can Google it. <laughs> um, but I mean, increased productivity, increased retention, you know, ownership over mistakes and sharing of successes. So there's just a ton of benefits that increase the efficiency, increase the productivity. So that cranky old provost who says, I just want them to do the job the way that it's written. They're not entirely wrong. But what you're doing right. is you are creating an ecosystem within your team, within your department, where employees have tools custom built for their best work style. And that will mm. increase trust, that will increase teamwork, collaboration, all those things that you want from a good team to get them firing on all cylinders. Mm. You're listening to I Want to Work There and I'm Eddie Francis and we're talking to Eric Ruder and we're talking about human-centered design. And one of the things that you and I talked about in preparing for this episode is that it is a great design to really boost the performance of teams. And before we get to that, it's something that um, that I find interesting is that 
it seems that it can do great things for the institution's work culture, but you have this interesting view that the overall culture change, though, isn't necessarily something that we're going for here. You have this idea that working from the team up is something that could be a lot more effective in creating greater efficiencies around a campus. Can you can you elaborate on that, please? I'm sure many of us have been in organizations where new leadership comes in and they say, we're going to make a huge shift in the culture. And what ends up mm -hmm. happening is, you know, some people get on board and that's cool. But then you have these people <laughs> who don't want to change. And mm -hmm. no matter what leadership tells them, they're not going to make those changes just because someone said so. If you right. engage a team in this human-centered design process by which you are creating benefit for them because at the end of the day, most of us are going to ask the question, what's in it for me? You are giving them what's in it for them. You are creating that culture where what's in it for them is feeling like they can take risks at work, feeling like their work is meaningful, feeling like they're not constantly worried about other things so they're not paying attention to their work. You're creating the pillars of employee engagement within your team. Mm -hmm. And then you're seeing that culture change start from that level. Now, it helps if you have buy-in from the higher-ups. It helps mm -hmm. if they are on board with this concept of creating a team for the team. However, there are activities, there are things that you can do within a team that don't require you know, eight levels of sign off from the people above you <laughs> mm -hmm. activities that you can do. You know, one of the things that we did at American marketing association was, you know, we had the, the traditional project management thing of like, you come in with a fully fleshed out agenda with every bullet point that you want to discuss. And what we were discovering was that the people putting together the agenda didn't necessarily have a good grasp. And I am throwing myself under the bus here um, as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the people putting together the agenda, myself included, did not really understand the needs of the team, did not really understand what oh, they yeah, needed yeah. to yeah, discuss. Th throw me in there too, man. I, yeah, I did the same it's, thing. Absolutely. You know, unfortunate that most people are not trained as leaders. Most people are not trained as managers. They are right. promoted right. up or take another job that's a step up, but there's no real training on how best to facilitate a team. It's just assumed that because you're good at 
whatever your core skill is, you're going to be good at managing people with that core skill. So (laughs) what we did to shift things, because we realized that, you know, our teams were unhappy. They weren't being particularly productive. The meetings were not productive. Mm. Was Mm. we shifted to having a very loose agenda where we had an activity called what's on your radar, where all of the members of the team had quiet brainstorming time to literally put on a whiteboard, all of the different things that they were working on, worried about, you know, might be a blocker and then ranked them based on whether it was an emergency, something that really needed to have a close eye on it or something that was just kind of hanging out there and could be addressed maybe later. And then the team would Mm -hmm. vote on the issues that they felt needed to be discussed in that meeting. And instead of having an hour long meeting where a couple of people just sort of dominated the discussion, whether or not the rest of the team was actually getting anything out of it or contributing, we have created meetings where while not perfect, function a lot more effectively because the team is actually raising the issues up that are impacting them, that are preventing them from getting their work done, that are creating issues. So that's just one example of a human-centered design approach to meetings. You are putting the power back in the hands of the team. And yes, as a leader, if there is information that you have that is going to shift things, of course, you are going to add that in. Of course, you are going to provide that guidance. However, you are also giving voice to the entire team by giving them this vehicle where they can all contribute. They're contributions are tracked, they're visual, they can see that they're valued, and that creates greater employee engagement. Hey, it's Eddie Francis, and I want to personally invite you to the industry's hottest event this summer, the Engage Summit, hosted in Raleigh on June 25th and 26th. The Engage Summit is your roadmap for AI readiness in higher education. Sessions will focus on cutting-edge AI applications that are reshaping student outreach, enhancing staff productivity, and offering deep insights into ROI. It's a dynamic blend of theory and practice, and it isn't your typical conference. Think of it as a two-day masterclass where marketers and enrollment managers come together to learn how to respond to radical changes in AI and its transformative potential. Forget yawning through sessions or clearing out your inbox. We know you do it. This event will provide inspirational programming, truly tactical takeaways, and best-in-class networking opportunities. Oh, and the best part, the Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Use the discount code Enrollify50 and you can register for just $99. So join your favorite Enrollify network creators at the Engage Summit this June. 
Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't wait to see you there. Mm. So, you know, what's really interesting about this is that there is a model of leadership called organic leadership, and it is a model that really puts a lot of the power in the hand of, for lack of a better term, the follower. And the thing is so interesting is that there have been companies experimenting with this. They've been experimenting with having the folks who are on the teams come up with the ideas, but also allowing them to influence policy um, and allowing them to guide the organization. The person who has the title of director or manager or whatever it is, a supervisor, in in essence, they're they're that almost only in name. Mm-hmm. They do they do guide things a bit, but they they don't have all the command and control. And it sounds right. like human centered design really really it really empowers people to exercise true expertise authority. Yes, um, you know o- over what it is that they know and what it is that they can create. And the thing is so funny is I've even heard stories of folks saying, you know what. Just go ahead and rewrite, rewrite your job description. Let's see what happens when you do that. And they've benefited. The, the, the organization has benefited from people saying, I think I do this better than I do that. And then they wind up doing all these really interesting, magical, profitable things. And so right. um, it, it sounds like the, it, it sounds like there is there's some synergy there. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate mm-hmm. one more time, but it sounds like you have a response for that. Yeah, I think that you are creating this environment in which team members can take risks. They can say, hey, I'm not good at this. That's a risk. You know, admitting in our culture. And they're not penalized for saying, I don't know. Exactly. In our culture, that yeah. is scary as all get out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. American culture does not not (laughs) view quote unquote weakness as a strength. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. reframe that. Would you rather have someone on your team say, hey, I'm not good at that, than continually provide a subpar product because they're pretending to be good at it to Mm -hmm. meet the perceived (laughs) needs of a leader? Now, in, uh, you know, from my standpoint, I would rather have someone say, you know, that is not exactly my skill set there. Then you can say, okay, what is your skill set? How can we either shift responsibilities? How can we rework the project so that we're leaning into the things that you're good at instead of having you hammer away at these things you know that your subpar at providing, which probably make you unhappy. I mean, I don't know about you, but working on things that I'm terrible at doesn't exactly bring a smile to my face. So mm-hmm. how might you create this environment where the team members feel safe enough to lean into their strengths, mm-hmm. safe enough to lean on other people on their team when they're not good at something when someone else might be better suited for that. Mm -hmm. And again, none of this is to say 
burn your team down and start from scratch and change a marketing department into an engineering group. You know, we're not saying that. <laughs> right. We're saying right. that within the guidelines, within the framework, you can create a team that provides what you're supposed to be providing to your cranky provost while still empowering your team, creating engagement, creating efficiency, creating productivity. Going back to the pro, going back to the provost example. Oh, that provost. Uh, let's flip. So troublesome. <laughs> well, let, let let's flip it though. Let's flip it to the really, really adventurous provost. <laughs> and so it's the provost who comes in and says, you know what? I'm going to turn a whole game around. I'm going to gather all my faculty and I'm going to say, hey, listen, I know what you teach. I know what you research, but I need you to go crazy and get a little bit more creative. And so and I know you just can't flip that switch. But when you do have those folks who say, listen, I, I came here to teach. And I came here to research. I don't want to do any of the adventurous stuff. <laughs> you know, just, just, just let me. And, and oh, by the way, I'm tenured. I don't have to do anything <laughs> you want me to do. <laughs> so, but I mean, when you do get that pushback, when you put the shoe on the other foot right. and you do have the leader who is the one who is saying, oh, no, no, I, I see something else in you or or I want you to flourish a little bit more. And you do have those team members who are pulling away a little bit or they're pushing back how does that look as far as human-centered design is concerned so again we come back to the question of what's in it for them and that's that's the question that you're asking so what is it about their current responsibilities that resonate with them so much that they don't want to change what might you mm. provide to them that increases their ability to step outside of their comfort zone? How might you ask them those questions in a way that they feel safe answering? So in this case, we have a leader who may, who may be pushing a little too hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, change for change's sake is just as detrimental as you know, staying still for the sake of staying still. However, mm -hmm. you know, you have two different types of employees, usually in situations like that. You have employees who feel safe in the status quo. And you have employees who feel safe in change. So what is the common ground between those two employees? What common values do they have? What is their definition of psychological safety that you can meet each party where they are and raise up all of them? And by using design thinking techniques, human-centered design techniques, you can get to some of those answers. Whereas if you go in just saying, we're going to make all of these incredible changes because I know they're going to be great for the organization. <laughs> Maybe they would be great for the organization, 
But if you are disenfranchising half of your staff because they're not on board, because you haven't done proper change management, because you haven't found out what makes your employees tick. You know, I have certainly seen open rebellion on faculty member from faculty members when they're pushed <laughs> too hard to change too quickly without understanding why they should change what's in it yeah, for them. Yeah. And human centered design really at its core is about what's in it for the people that you're serving as a leader. So Eric, one thing I love to ask all of my guests is about the way forward for colleges and universities to build great employer brands. And if you had to um, give some thoughts or some advice about the steps that institutional leaders can take uh, to begin implementing human-centered design, uh, particularly so that their faculty and staff begin to have great talent experiences. Mm -hmm. What are some thoughts that you would share that could get people going today as far as moving in that direction? Talk to people. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is a cardinal sin of so many leaders. You know, we make that, that design, you know, sin of thinking we know better. And having those one-on-one -on -one discussions, having those surveys, you know, I know surveys can be a dirty word, but if you are actually going into it with a change management mindset of, hey, I am finding out how we can make this work for the team, for the group, for the organization, I will have one-on-one -on -one conversations. I will show incremental change while showing how it's going to benefit you and involving your constituents in the steps of the process. Too often, and this goes, this is universities, this is corporate, this is nonprofits, this is basically anything run by a person. You know, we make that mistake of, oh, we're going to gather all of this feedback. And then there's just crickets. Yeah. And people lose confidence and they lose faith. So as good shepherds of the employees in our care, while they don't need to know all of the details about how the sausage is made, they need to know that things are progressing, that their input has been considered, that things are moving forward. Because in the lack of information, people are, of course, going to fill that void with a lot of worst case scenarios. So mm. how might you involve the people that are going to be impacted by the change in the creation of the change? in a way that still moves the organization forward in a substantive and strategic way that does not, you know, burn down all of the guardrails, but makes your employees feel valued. And if you take this design thinking approach, if you take this human centered design approach, you have a framework with which you can do that. 
I'm just glad that the dog agrees. Oh, she is 100% on board. <laughs> and she is pushing for canine centered design she is as well. Oh, trust me, she pushes for canine centered design on everything. <laughs> Eric, if anyone wanted to find out more about you or if they wanted to get in touch with you, how can they find out more? How can they get in touch? LinkedIn. I live on there. E-R-I-K-R-U-E-T-E-R. I am the only Eric with a K, R-U-E, Ruder on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's not like you're Googling John Smith. <laughs> I think there might be three Eric Ruders in the U.S. who spell it the same way I do. But if you go on LinkedIn, I think I'm the only one, and I am certainly the only one who discusses human-centered design, employee engagement, inclusivity on the regular. He absolutely does. Well, Eric Ruder is the founder, president, and chairman of Human-Centered Success. And Eric, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. And Mabel agrees. <laughs> I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea and feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Jamie Hunt, Mallory Wilsey, Seth Odell, Dave Kibbles, Jenny Lee Fowler, and so many other of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered all-in-one student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.